Welcome to the Completely Unnecessary Podcast live from Portland, the Retro Gaming Expo 2015 alongside Ian Ferguson. Howdy. I'm Pat Contrary. They're excited. You guys hear me? We have an action, thank you. We have an action packed 45 minutes because we don't need a whole hour. And we're going to talk about a few things today. But first, we've got a bunch of dum-dum pops that I'm going to throw out. Remember dum-dums? Yeah. These might take your eye out, so you have to sign a waiver. You have no liability. Throw some of these out, I'm going to just wing some of these down at you there. We love dum-dum. I'm just trying to hit the camera over there. Oh, that was... <laughs> if you get the mystery flavor, you win a prize. No, you don't. We have no prizes. I feel like one of those, you know, people throwing out T-shirts. There you go. We got a few more. Get the cups We're bribing you with sugar. Say, hit the cups fans. Does everyone still have their eyeballs? Oh, he's trying for the hat. Your dentist will love us. You and the yellow, maybe for you. Oh, yeah. Connection. My goodness. All right, so we're talking about stuff besides Dum Dum Pops. We're talking about the uh, 30th anniversary of the NES is tomorrow, guys, in the U.S. Do you believe that? What else are we talking about? Uh, we'll be talking about limited run games, which is, uh, it's actually uh, exactly what it says. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a new program that is going to do physical copies of independent games, and we have some thoughts on that. And your Q&A. Ian, what's going on in Ferguson land? I'm super fucking nervous. <laughs> Why? We all love you here. Uh, there's no reason to be nervous. There's only, you know, 6,000 people here and, you know, a couple hundred watching every move you make, every twitch, every drop of sweat coming off that forehead. Yep. That pink, ever-embarrassing face that you have. It's, there's no reason to be nervous at all. Absolutely none. No, it's fine. Uh, so, so, you buy anything yet here? No, I, I haven't left behind our booth except for to go to the bathroom. Did you, did you cry in the bathroom this time? No, I didn't cry in the bathroom this time. That'll probably happen later. You're, you're, you're going to admit to me uh, two months later that you cried during the convention? Yeah, it happens all the time. And, and that, you know, not, you know, I'm here for you, Ian. I'm a crier. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a crier, too. No, you're not. I cried during movies. And Crocodile tears. That was a little... People didn't like that. That was a little mean. A little mean-spirited. I like this wave we got going. Every year, there's more, I guess, added to the experience here at Retro Gaming Expo. So you have the wave Now we banner. have animation. We have animation. Just get our faces up there. Just waving along. No. Um, so uh, people keep asking about my book. It is getting made. More details tomorrow at the Path the NES Punk panel. At 12.30. Yes, I'm already plugging a panel and wasting time. All right, let's talk about your topic, which I know nothing about at all. But, it, but it's this hardcore <laughs> game. I'm really prepared. So there is a, um, the exact name is, I believe, Limited Run Games. And it's actually exactly what it says. And they are doing limited runs of games right now for Vita and PS4. 
And these are essentially uh, independent games that normally wouldn't get a physical release. Sure. Um, each one that they do is being numbered like a comic book. And so, you know, the first one is... Uh, Serial is for each one or for each run of different games? Each game has a different number. So, so the first game, they're all one, number one. Then two, then three, then four. Even on different systems? Yes. Yeah. The, okay. the, their entire line is going to be numbered in, in sequential order. Okay, it's interesting. I think it's interesting because... Uh, People like physical copies. I think everyone in this room probably does. If you're at a retro gaming exposition, you're probably into cartridges and CDs and having the real deal. I think this is great for people who want physical copies and they don't want to change over to digital. What kind of scares me about it, though, is the way they market it with the numbers and the... I mean, they're called limited-run games. I always get nervous when things like that pop up because I feel like they might be preying on a impulsive collector community sort of That would never happen. Idea. There would be no one ever try to come out with a shoddy product to prey on the collector community. <laughs> no, that wouldn't happen. Not at all. But, um, that's not. That's so, but, but, but that, that begs, begs, a, begs a, a question about then. Are they producing these first and foremost for to have quality games or because, you know, first and foremost, that's what you should care about. Is the game good? Not... This is a limited run of a new game. That's so weird because they can always make more of any new product, which I always say. Like, it's, it's sort of a fallacy yes. when it comes to the, the new collectability of new stuff doesn't make any sense. Most of it's collectible because most of it's thrown out. There's not a lot left. Or it's just, yeah, it's on production. Yeah. So that's kind of the double thing. It's like, okay, it's nice to get physical copies, but is this, is it going to be quality? And is it really just to make a buck on the you know the growing collector market. People see limited and they want it regardless of what it is. So the system you said it was you said Vita? I believe right now they're just doing Vita and PS4. Do you think that can sustain itself just for at least for Vita? Is there still a huge market for or big market enough for a Vita for limited run games? I, I guess it depends on how limited the run is. This is where I really need my MacBook to look up what these games are. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Uh, they only announced one and I don't remember the name because I suck. Uh, it, but yeah it's just I don't know. I mean, the reason why they're doing it with Vita and, and PS4, though, is because Sony is very good about letting you do uh, very small print runs. So they're very friendly to indies. Um, Retro City Rampage got a notoriously small print run, and now that's worth quite a bit of money. Um, so because Sony lets independent developers and publishers do this, that's why they chose those two platforms. So full retail packaging. Full, full, re yes. full game. Are the games bug-free? I, they are, uh, yeah, they're guaranteed bug free. Guaranteed. They, they were simply told to be bug free. No, but they, they complied. But in all seriousness, yeah. this is sort of the route. If you still want cartridges or physical media, this could be the future. Like five years down the line, ten years down the line, as long as there's still like a CD-ROM drive or optical media drive that you can have these companies, if, if companies like Sony will allow it, to put out physical media. Yes. Games. So in that respect, it might never go away. You know, so. So say Shovel Knight 4 comes out in, I don't know, 2030, we'll just say. And by then, hopefully there's the PS, PS6 that has an optical drive. I think you're putting a lot of faith in the console market. I am. <laughs> the whole point is this, that even if you want to get a physical version of that, maybe the company decides, hey, it won't cost us that much money to print out the, they won't be Blu-rays anymore, they'll be holographic cubes. Yes. And it'll cost them $1.50 each. And you eat them. You eat them? You yeah. plant them in your brain? Uh -huh. Like, like uh, what was that, what was that uh, movie about the millennium where like, you had the implant experience? Virtuosity? 
or something? Does anyone remember that movie at all? Strange Days. I was going to say End of Days, but that was Arnold Schwarzenegger. That was not it. Strange Days. Anyway, the whole point is that this is great because if a company wants to do it, it won't be a huge cost to them to put out optical media uh, in comparison to a heavy cartridge. And if people want to buy it, they'll buy it in a small run. Everyone wins. That's where we're moving towards probably 10, 20 years from now, most likely. Do you think the PS6 will be in an Atari 5200 case then? <laughs> they'll, buy, they'll find the tooling for it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It might be clear. Uh, so we'll talk about... I'm so excited. We're on the cusp of the NES turning 30 years old in the U.S. I'm, it's, it's like, should we bake a cake for that? What should we do? <laughs> should we invite him out to Chuck E. Cheese you know, with all his friends? I, I think at 30, the Nintendo would rather just take it easy. Maybe just have a quiet dinner with some friends and not really party. <laughs> I, I or, could, yeah, I mean, or maybe had that weird conversation with their parents about, well, you're not only doing much for your life yet; you're not young anymore. <laughs> not that this happened to me, but uh, but it, it's strange that, first of all, that it's 30 years because these are you know the consoles we grew up with, but to see sort of the impact. We're at a retro gaming expo, and you can make a pretty good argument that without the NES, we wouldn't be here. There wouldn't be not just the Retro Gaming Expo, but we wouldn't care about consoles, at least here, as much. People always say, well, if Nintendo didn't succeed, something else would have came along. Not necessarily to that extent. Right. And it, well, and that's exactly it. Nintendo kickstarted everything by getting their, their system into stores at a time when no one wanted to carry it, uh, carry anything video game related. Um, if Nintendo hadn't kind of pulled that double switch with Rob and reignited people's interest in games, Yes, video games wouldn't have gone anywhere. We still would have had computer games. But would we have had something that would have had the same impact as Super Mario packed in, I mean, not immediately, but packed in with an NES that, I mean, had people running out to stores to get them? I, I think it's important that you had sort of a leader in the gaming world at that time when, again, after the video game crash 83, 84, it was splintered and there was no faith. So if you looked at it, okay, say, let's just say the NES even was a minor success, like the Master System. Uh, you had the Master System, you had Atari trying to still uh, push out the 7800 in the late 80s. The Intellivision was hanging on for dear life until like 87, 88. People forget that. Yep. So imagine that market without a leader. Yeah, imagine, imagine the Nintendo's not there and all you have is the Master System. And I like the Master System, but... Is that really going to push it into mainstream, or yeah. is it just going to keep it as a hobbyist sort of thing? And you, I think it wouldn't ever leave the basement, essentially. You would, you, you understand, like the cultural sort of touchstone that Nintendo sort of captured uh, when you had all of a sudden. I mean, it happened in the early '80s, but then you had nothing in the mid '80s. And then all of a sudden, you have Mario on, you know, uh, T-shirts. You have uh, a TV show, cereal, cereal, merchandising, and merchandising, merchandising, and I think you needed that to, to ignite a whole new generation to video games. Yes. Exactly. Because we're not a lot of people. Have, computers were super expensive, right? In, up until the probably '93-ish sort of year, uh, computers were really expensive. It's not like oh, they were like two thousand dollars in '85. That's like four thousand dollars now. That's not a computer in every home. No, <laughs> that's like a computer in some people's homes, mostly older people. And if they had kids, sure. But it's not like when I had my computer. You were playing like games with graphics that were good enough to even decipher a Mario, or you know what I mean, or a character like Samus or Kid Icarus. You were playing XT games with awful CGA color. Everything was in uh, pink and cyan. Yeah, and you had joysticks. There was no game pads on uh, PCs until the late '80s, early '90s. The Gravis PC gamepad that was until oh, like, like, a 990. So 
it was not set up to succeed until Nintendo sort of kicked the door in. It's sort of, here we go again. Master, I, Master System didn't have a good mascot. Uh, Alex Kidd, you would not have seen an Alex Kidd, uh, you know, TV show, even if there was no Nintendo. That was not going to happen. It didn't have the chutzpah, we'll just say, <laughs> to capture everyone, those games. Not to say they're bad games, but it, they weren't like, they didn't like uh, a feeling of like rapture when you played those. Like the first time you played Super Mario Brothers, you remember where you were, what you were doing. The first time I played Alex Kid, I couldn't tell you what even year it was. You know, like it's like no, I don't, I don't know. All right, it's cool, but you know what I mean? It, it's not. It was at some point magical. in the youth. Yeah. Some point in the youth. In the youth. <laughs> uh, I mean, Mario. I remember clear as day, uh, yelling at my parents to avoid the mushrooms because I thought they were poisonous and that they would die. Um, <laughs> It wasn't until the next day that we realized that they were a power-up. <laughs> but to kind of, and that might have influenced Ian's on no high school behavior, but we'll, yeah, we'll go to that later. We'll talk that later. Uh, but, but it's important to also remember that you know Nintendo sort of they took a big risk. Uh, I mean, there's a great article about uh, Frank Cifaldi, the early days of Nintendo in, in the fall of '85, where it was a ragtag team of Howard Phillips and like you know eight, nine, ten other guys. Setting up shop in northern New Jersey and in New York City areas, break, literally setting up the display units at malls and at department stores and breaking them down every day and literally person to person trying to sell video games. That's so, so weird to think about. But so that's how it was. In fact, we don't even know most of the release dates of a lot of those early No. Games. Like we always say October 18th, you know, for the NES, which is like that's like the weekend where it probably happened. Sure. You know, but then Super Mario Brothers, we're not entirely sure when that was released. You know, so that's it's that's sort of, unheard of. I mean, today. But it's like we they, we say October 18th, but maybe it was a couple weeks later. When was know? Final Fantasy VII released? <laughs> You're at a retro gaming convention. That should be. I was trying to prove a point. Not 1997, but you know, more most people will remember that. No one, no one so, felt the need to remember Mario. We were still in this black hole area of video games where no one cared. You know what I mean? Like yes. it was sort of like Nintendo. Of Japan wasn't counting on it to be a success. Just, that's why they put a small that's team. Toy. Yeah, they, they put together the minimal amount of team to see if it would work. There wasn't a huge marketing blitz. They did have commercials, they did advertise, but we're talking a small region of the country, a very small region for the for the test market. You know, and if that failed, we'll see you in six years for the Super Nintendo. You know, like that's what would have happened most likely. I feel it's interesting too because you. People, like you said earlier, people say that if Nintendo hadn't come along, something else will. But if you look at, say, PCs in the 80s, games coming out on PCs, that's developing as its own platform. Consoles, they were on divergent paths. So if the Nintendo didn't su succeed, it, there, it, but, but PCs kept going and people started gaming on PCs, there's no guarantee you would have seen any more consoles in the United States. Yeah, it, it could have been like, you look at other areas of the world where Nintendo wasn't big. Oh, yeah. I mean, Europe, people had it in Europe, but it wasn't big at all. Right, and it was computers, and that could have happened here. It could have. Yeah. If the price came down, but you'd still be waiting until, like, maybe early 90s for it to start to kick up, and you get Doom in 93, you know, then it's like, oh, here we are. But imagine that you have eight full years of video games sort of being, not entirely on the back burner, but not having, like, a stalwart leader to push the culture of the, you know, gaming forward. Right. And that's what you're looking at. That said, though, there's obviously the negative connotation of how Nintendo succeeded doing that which was by strong-arming uh, 
distributors in the U.S. Yes. And threatening game publishers and doing stuff that was deemed illegal, but we'll just glance past that for the third. That's like it's when you're... It's a celebration of Nintendo. When you're today, a few years not... old, you could have ro- roared on the wall with crayons. We're not going to hold that against you totally. Who cares yeah. if there was a Nintendo lawsuit almost every year the yeah. NES was out, you know? And Nintendo was probably in the wrong for most of them. They, 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 they uh, lawsuits with uh, Tengen, lawsuits with Galoob. Uh, oh God, I forgot the Galoob stuff. Yeah, yeah they don't. They didn't want the uh, the game genie go- coming out. Nope. Like, oh no, our system's holy. You <laughs> You're can't. ruining the period. You're ruining, of yeah. So, so it wasn't all you know, all positive. But they needed to get there because Sega wasn't investing any money, really pushing the Master System. You know, no. and Atari was pissing the bed. I mean, no, yeah, Atari was they, just they like, were, they hey. were Atari's like, yeah, hey, we got this 7800, it's like four years old, here you go. And we're like, this is awful. No. You've got Commando. You've got Commando. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, other than that, though, it, it's, it's so beloved that I, I would still argue that for a convention like this, if Nintendo, if the NES wasn't big, I don't think retro gaming would have taken off the way it did. Or, or certainly not in hindsight. Oh, I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, you, you go out to the floor here, and almost everyone has NES games for sale. All I have is NES games for sale. <laughs> so there you have it. it. It's like that market share of whatever it was, 90% in the U.S. for gaming. It's mm. insane. That'll never be repeated by any company. No. You're never going to have, especially with indie games now, uh, the amount of people who have computers and mobile, 90% market share is almost like that's why... Nintendo and people would switch and be synonymous term of video games and Nintendo. Yet old people say, "Oh, oh, let's let's you have Nintendo when you could have had a computer game or you could have had you know a Master System." And every video game they refer to as Nintendo. That's insane. Yeah, it became imagine, a generic trademark. Imagine if people if, if people are looking at your GameCube and saying, "Oh, you're playing PlayStation." Yeah. Just imagine that, and that's how important the NES's birthday is. Besides, the most eclectic library of games. Of any console. That's another thing I love about the NES. Um, there's a lot of not good games on the Nintendo, but a lot of those awful games were trying something new and different, and that's why they were awful. You saw a lot of experimentation on the Nintendo that moved, you know, was very influential to later generations of gaming. Um, it was a console where people, I mean, just threw shit at the wall and saw, you know, waited to see what stuck. Yeah, especially those unlicensed companies like Color Dreams. I mean, the games aren't the best quality, but at least the concepts are different. Raid 2020, now that's a different concept. <laughs> Want to explain that is for mostly the audience who uh, so, fortunately have not played the game? So Raid 2020 is a game where uh, uh, you, you have to kill a drug dealer. Um, and you start off on a, on a dock uh, fighting seagulls and uh, really seedy-looking individuals. Um, but eventually it takes you into space. Uh, so, so you you end up you get going, a jetpack, right? You get yeah, a jetpack. Yeah, and you have to play a really horrible floaty level, and uh, then you kill the shadow or something, but not the radio, the shadow, the, the evil, the evil crime lord, and you spend the entire game picking up like huge bricks of cocaine, uh, and they give you extra lives, but you're the anti-drug agent. Are you a reseller of cocaine in the game? Is that what you're no, you're flipping no, the cocaine? Uh, I'm guessing you're taking it to a storage locker. A storage but locker? They don't, they don't explain this. Yeah, so it's just the personality of those games. You yeah. would not see games that strange on the Super Nintendo. Wally Bear in the No Game. Wally Bear in the No Game. I mean, this is why people find the Nintendo interesting. Chiller. All of this weird shit. There's even weird, 
licensed games that are just like bizarre. Uh, space shuttle projects, space which shuttle I saw project. today. <laughs> um, you always bring up Color A Dinosaur. Yep. So bold in its simplicity. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the only game where it's exactly what the title is, and that's it. No more, no less. It, it, it's even kind of misleading because you don't even really color it. It's just kind of a paint by numbers. It's it's. I, I wish paint a dinosaur by numbers. I just I just want to cram there so you can put like mustaches on them. But no, it's just you find want, the blank spot and hit fill. You want a mustache on your Stegosaurus wearing a Walkman? Is that what you want? I, why the Walkman? Someone wearing Walkmans in the game. What? <laughs> have you played Color A Dinosaur? Yes. We played Color A Dinosaur. Yeah, I have. A dinosaur I usually show. color the pterodactyl. Yeah, there's like radical ones like on a skateboard and one has oh. a Walkman. You didn't know The that? pterodactyl's not real rad. I just okay. like pterodactyls <laughs> and triceratopsis. The point Topsis. before this segment goes into the earth it, it, it is, is that the NES library is, is just awesome in, in the range of good to bad in sort of ordinary sort of concepts, or oh, save the princess to, to save your girl shackled up whose clothes rot away after every level. That's Menace Beach. That's the sort of you know, diversity of gameplay we're talking about. And then they turn it into a Bible game. They turn it into a Bible game. Sunday fun day. And, and we'll leave that for another, another time. So <laughs> anything, anything else going on on the 30th anniversary of the NES? I mean, we still have we have a, a new console being made like to play NES games here. You know, like this is this isn't going away. NES games will be played a hundred years from now. Maybe not in the cartridge form, you know. But somehow or another, I think everyone tomorrow should go outside and fire their zapper in the air. Just fire it up. Yeah. <laughs> Just light it up. Light up the sky with your zapper. All right, you want to do you want to do a Q and A or why the heck not? Throw more candy out that we don't have. Throw out bottles of water. <laughs> I'm so happy no one got hurt because I'd be liable. I think I didn't sign like a waiver for insurance or anything. So, any questions for Ian and I? We got about 25 minutes. Just go ahead and line up, maybe. Would it be lining up be easier? I think line up be easier because then we'd be able to hear you better. You want to sure. line up? Make a line in the front row here. I don't know if we have a microphone, but no one wants to. Everyone's, everyone's, don't be shy. You and I are very affable. You, sir, in the Chicago Cubs hat. You know what? If the Mets don't win, I want the Cubs. I want to win. Cubs deserve it. It's been 107 freaking years. Yeah, holy shit. So I'm okay as long as the American League doesn't win. So what's your? Oh, we have a microphone. Awesome. We don't have to edit in the text when I do this. <laughs> we can hear you. So I, I had a question uh, regarding if you guys have done any uh, Closer. DIY um, console uh, like uh, restoration. Recently I tried to make my own RetroBrite and uh, it didn't go so well. I tried to um, get rid of the yellow on my SNES. With the meringue? Oh, yeah. I, I used like um, hydrogen, really concentrated hydrogen peroxide um, and uh, Oxy, OxyClean. And, yep, that's what you're supposed to use, right? And there's one other, like the... So what happened? You blew up your apartment? What no, happened? It, no, <laughs> it, uh, I, did, I don't know if it just got the mixture not... Uh, not correct. High, but it, it came out really, uh, like, washy. It wasn't, uh, wasn't clean. It was... Uh, you so, mean the color was, the, yeah, like, it was, it was like, washy? Really, like, I've never tried. The question is about RetroBrite, which is a way to lighten, like, an old Commodore, yellow Commodore... You know, what you're doing is you're, you're reversing the chemical reaction that causes it to yellow. Yes. Um, I, I have a buddy who did RetroBrite on all of his consoles, and it turned out beautifully. Um, he had a yellowing 
PC Engine CD, and I mean, it's 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 bright, bright white now. So, I mean, I've never done it, and I mean, I know the recipe for retro bright is, uh, it's not something I want to mess around with, but I know it works. It could just have been the mix you used, but I've never done it personally. Does it work on every plastic or only certain ones, though? I mean, the it's supposed to work on Super, I mean, I, at least everyone uses it for Nintendo, Super Nintendo, like I said, he did it on PC Engine. Anything that discolors because of the, the flame retardant chemicals should, in theory, go back to white. And it's from with. ultraviolet rays, right? Yeah, you, you have to. That's what I actually was going to ask. The big rays. thing is you have to coat it and then you put it yeah, in. I set it out in the sun pretty much for the entire day and slipped it. They say sometimes if you're doing. Um, if you're, if you're uh, doing it with sunlight, you might need 48 hours. Okay. All right. Thanks. I'm too lazy to try. That's my answer. I'm too lazy to. I can't even solder. Yeah. <laughs> solder. How do you spell it? Solder. Solder. What was the first console you ever bought with your own money? I can answer that easy. It was. Oh shit! No, I can't. It was either a Game Boy. <laughs> it was either a Game Boy or a Sega Genesis. My brother and I. Um, when we were growing up, we lived in an apartment, and the landlord was very cool, and we raked leaves in the fall, and he gave us enough money, and it was two years in a row. I can't remember which came first, but one year was a Game Boy, and the other year was the Genesis, and it was entirely with our own cash. I was going to say Super Nintendo. You guys know the story of that, for the most part. But it was actually earlier in the year, the Master System 2 was my own money. I think it was my allowance at Kitty City, which that segment still has to come out from the podcast last time, um, where we just have a, you know... 10-minute make-out session with Kitty City. Um, so I think Kitty, I think it was only like, I want to say like $75, the Master System 2. Because I mean, at that point, it was, cheap. it was cheap. So I think that's what my first one was. Hello. Hi. Uh, do either of you uh, collect uh, reproduction games and uh, reproduction cartridges? And if so, which one is, um, which one would you say is like a must-have aside from Mr. Gimmick? I don't collect them. I, I enjoy playing, like a, like a Mr. Gimmick is something that that'd be worth it to me because I love the game. But in terms of, to say you collect repros is sort of like a strange sort of term to me. But it is something people do. I understand, but to me it's just sort of, I'm, I'm in the realm of the games that existed during that time. That's the way I sort of look at it. So I sort of stay away from that. Uh, but, I don't know. I have a friend who makes repros for, uh, as a hobby. Um, and I have a couple, but like, I mean, same as him, I wouldn't say I collect them. But for my birthday, he usually makes me a repro. So this year, he made me, um, if you've ever played uh, Snoopy's Silly Sports Spectacular for the NES, in Japan, it had a different license. It had a Disney license, so it was Donald Duck. Mm -hmm. So he made me a repro of that. Uh, And the year before, he did me an actual cartridge of uh, a My Little Pony Mega Man 3 ROM hack. (laughs) Not surprised. I think what it comes down to is that do you care as much as a collector to have a cartridge for a, basically a ROM that you can just download or put on a flash drive? Like, if you just care about playing the game, you, you don't need to spend the extra money on a cartridge. Like, may or may not be cannibalized, which bothers me a little bit, versus just downloading the ROM and playing it. I think it's different depending on the game. I think for something like Mr. Gimmick, it's cool to have the repro, but something like Pirate's Booty, which is the Pan-Asian porn games, uh, just download the ROM. And have a ball. Yeah, flat, yeah, they're a great time. And have a great time. And they are amazing. Playing slot machines in hopes of seeing With skin. save states. Just save so you states. can see a pixel not, move. I'm not saying if I did that in college or not. I uh, did. I'll say it. I did it. 
Hello. Hey. Um, with the Wii U continuing to fade and fade and fade and all the talk of the NX6, am I crazy to worry about Zelda Wii U like going the way of like Star Fox 2? I think so. I, well, I don't think it'll go the way of Star Fox 2. I think you'll see it. I think you'll see a dual release. I think you'll see it. I think they could do a dual release, yeah, exactly, just like they did Twilight Princess, or you'll see it pushed to the next system. Um, at this point, though, as much as I do love the Wii U, I, I, I am fairly convinced we're not going to see Zelda Wii U on the Wii U. But I think it, they're far enough along. I think it's a good enough idea. They obviously put a lot of time in the concept and the art, that I think it'll easily just get pushed to the next platform. I will be more optimistic in saying, since every Nintendo... Well, they did have Hyrule Warriors, but that's not a real Zelda game. I would, I would hold that hope that every NES console gets a Legend of Zelda game. Oh. Every NES console? Every a chicken console. in every pot? I'm tired, Ian. <laughs> I'm very tired. I was preparing my new NES Punk video for my panel tomorrow. What? Oh. Wait, what? <laughs> no, I'm still doing them. So, um, so I think it's going to come out. I think we'll see a dual release. I'm still going to be shocked if I, I thought it would be 2017. You said as well I, for the NX? I said late 2016. Oh, yeah, that would be the very And I think that's what they're actually shooting for but based to, on current info. But to announce it at E3 next year, potentially, or show it off there, only giving you, like, four months in between versus starting to ship it, that's, like, not a big lead time for the publicity and hype. That's a whole other, that's a whole other conversation, though, for another podcast. Uh, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> I was wondering if there had ever been any game or console that you had regretted purchasing because it was maybe too expensive or you overpaid or it was just terrible, like terrible experience afterwards. I spoke about Three Stooges in the past. I mean, I like the game. It's a three-star game according to a certain book that's going to be published. Um, but the fact of the matter was when you're smaller and when you only get like a $2 a week allowance... It's a lot of money to spend like $55 plus tax at Electronic Boutique at Woodbury Center in New Jersey. So it's like your whole life is flushed away when you have no money when you're like 10 years old. And you buy a shit game. It's a three-star game. Um, it's better than average. Um, so. so it was just a feeling of emptiness. I always, after that point, I played it at night, late at night. I still remember that feeling of being gutted. So after that, whenever I got a new game, I always played it like after school during the day. Being at night was almost, playing the game at night always depressed me. And I was like, wow, I got to mow the lawn and take out garbage for another eight months to get another game. So it was just sort of, because I didn't get a lot of games as a kid. I got them birthday, Christmas. Why nighttime, though? I mean, why? Because my parents took me to the electronic boutique in Weber Center, New Jersey. Uh, it took me at like 7.30 at night. My dad had to work. I'm just saying, why, why, does playing, why did playing games at night from that point on make you sad? It was just sort of a paranoia of repeating that feeling oh, of okay. disappointment from sure. Three Stooges. Fair enough. I got you. You want to have a childhood psychology discussion? Well, I mean, I, no, I didn't, I didn't really need I'm, to go any further than that. We, 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 have, we have all the time in the world. We don't have only, you know, 15 minutes left. But. <laughs> you didn't get a chance to answer that. Yeah. Hey, so, Pat. Um, hey. Um, since I guess you kind of already said that you were going to keep doing Pat the NES Punk videos, or am I wrong? <laughs> there's one coming out, so <laughs> they're still going on. Okay, I was going to, well, one of the questions I was going to ask is if you were going to keep on doing them for a while, or I guess another question I could ask was, what was, the, what was, what was your most favorite episode that you've ever done of Pat the NES Punk? All right, this is a Pat question. Um, anticipation. That was Game anticipation. You, you bitching the whole time while filming it was great, but no, it wasn't the favorite one. I don't like acting. <laughs> 
I still think one of the finest moments ever in any of my videos was when Frank coached me at track and field. I knew that was what you were going to say. That's your Criterion Collection episode. What's that? That's your Criterion Collection episode. Collection episode? Criterion Collection. Oh, Criterion Edition, if I did one. No. Yeah, I think that sort of encapsulated the series of being really goofy, and but still having some reverence to the system and track and field. I don't know. I just liked it. I just thought it was fun. You guys I, see that video? I remember it being really hot, and we were outside on a track. <laughs> Except I was in a silver sweatsuit. It was really hot. And not a sweatsuit-like material. You're literally supposed to sweat in the suit, the silver suit. So uh, the girl I was dating at the time, we weren't really far into the relationship. But when I get up on a Sunday morning, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to put on this like silver like heat-inducing suit at 90 degrees. I'm going to go film, and I'll be seeing you in a couple hours. She's just like, okay. <laughs> it's just like, all right. And I come back and probably could have passed out. Really, We did a lot of running, but that yeah. was my favorite thing. Uh, Thanks, man. He's not dying yet. Someday he will. Someday, someday he'll retire and just, you know, just have a really bad breakdown and just sell off all his games. <laughs> and then there'll be no more NES pump videos. Hey. Are you worried that the Wii U will fade into obscurity like the Sega Dreamcast? I don't think the Dreamcast has faded into obscurity. Dreamcast is beloved. Yeah, I mean. Beloved by a certain. Those certain Sega people. I know you're going to say those <laughs> Sega people. You should have seen our Sega people. Uh, I mean, I think the Dreamcast cemented its place in, in video game history, and I think the Wii U will too. You can't slam the door on the Wii U because there'll still be games made for probably a few years. You know, maybe not to the same strength, but I think. Look, look what happened with the GameCube. Yeah, I mean, everyone figured that one was going to slide away, and now it's, I mean, at least from where I sit in a store. Uh, I can't keep GameCubes in stock, and I can't keep GameCube games on the shelf. And that'll they probably sell be super, super well. And that's probably going to be the analogy to the Wii U is the GameCube, right? Most likely, you're going to have those first-party games that were all big gangbusters. Yeah. You're going to have like the handful of third-party ones people like, and then the other ones no one cares about. But you know. Yeah, but you don't. When you have games like Splatoon, <laughs> we, uh, Smash Brothers, Mario Kart 8, and then stuff like Bayonetta 2, Wonderful 101, yeah, you have a small library, but you have a really good one. Yeah. Fear not, Pikachu. <laughs> so, um, Pat, it's great to see you again. Four I years ago. kid. <laughs> um, Go so, back and watch my first ever Retro Gaming Expo panel, 2011. <laughs> you were this big, and you gave me shit back then. Every year you gave me shit. No, I have a genuine question. Okay. So, since you seem like such an avid Vita lover, do you think that Sony will make another... PlayStation handheld. Sony actually said that they're not going to. They didn't say that. They said the climate was unhealthy. You see why I don't like this game? Yeah. <laughs> they're not going to make another game. I, I think... Well, Sony can even learn that your failures, you shouldn't repeat them, I think. And they can't. They did it twice. Maybe <laughs> not a third time. So, what's that? I said, then why is Nintendo making another console? Because Nintendo has a shitload of money. <laughs> and they can't. Yeah. Sony's losing billions of dollars. They're bleeding money. So it's like, even they're smart enough to realize that they don't make computers anymore, Sony. You realize they say they make a lot of computers? Like they're, 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 They don't sell TVs anymore. Like, like... They, they, they market them, but no one buys them because they're expensive. And you can buy an LCD TV for like $300 and like 1000 So like Sony, the, the, the way Sony's making money is coming thinner and thinner, unfortunately. 
So it's, that's the danger. So they have to be very careful what they're doing. Yeah, they can't put the R&D into it and risk the money. Uh, the PSP was They're kickstarting ideas. Yeah, it, it currently. <laughs> I mean, the PSP was a moderate success of the Vita. As much as I like it, it wasn't a success really at all. Um, Nintendo is a video game company first and foremost. They can take risks. They can lose money. Nintendo can lose money to like until like 2050 and still be in, in, in business. Yes. Um, Sony can't uh, because they spread themselves out. They're not just video games. They're consumer electronics across the board. Their shareholders are expecting something completely different from what Nintendo shareholders are expecting. And I don't think they would be happy at all if Sony decided that they were making another handheld console. You'd love it, but you'd put them out of business. So. <laughs> well, well, thanks. Right, get out of here. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Tough act to follow. Uh, thanks for the punk. I'm concerned about you talking about one day him not being around. Uh, you want to see a six-year-old Pat the NES punk video? No. Yes. I was going to say, we haven't seen him yes. travel through time. He hasn't been to Germany. We haven't met his evil twin. There's a lot of ideas out there, I think, <laughs> left for you. Uh, we love hearing about Ian's uh, day job. What I'd like to ask you is, can you tell us about your worst moment at a day job? Let's remind you of what else you could be doing instead of the punk. <laughs> Um, just a really bad one. It doesn't have to be the worst of all time. I worked at Suncoast Motion Picture Company. <laughs> Besides being sexually harassed at the ripe age of 19 by a 16-year-old. Um, what was his name? <laughs> I don't see why... I'm sorry. But besides the fact also that she was the daughter of my fourth grade teacher. Anyway, so the, it was no, bad going, because it was... Uh, I don't like this guy either. I was... Um, I'm but getting away pretty, pretty clean here. I was, I was making 505 an hour minimum wage, or 515, whatever it was. Um, and all I was doing was watching a store with VHS tapes... Some DVDs, they were new. And um, when you work at a store getting paid minimum wage, you should be able to coast and do nothing. <laughs> Instead, I was you know, told to go reorganize the sci-fi VHS uh, section. When I'd done that the day before, so they'd play a trick on you and take two tapes out just to make sure you did it again. And they'd yell at you if you didn't. For 505 an hour in a mall VHS store. <laughs> so that was horrific. Besides, you know, being sexually harassed by the 16 year old daughter of Thank you. Right. Yes, sir. Other than the NWC card, what's the best part of your collection? The best part of waking up is M82 in my cup. Um, M82's up there. Um, I have a soft spot for the ma uh, Magical Chase. It's just a, the feeling of Christmas with that game because I put it in the video and I bought it around Christmas. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what, what would you say is the best game in my collection, Ian? In your collection? Yeah. I don't know. He doesn't care. He hates me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have no idea what the best thing in your collection is. We've got to move on. We've got to do quicker. But yeah, MA2? Is that fair? That's fair. I That's think it's fair. your neatest thing. My neatest thing. You're, it's the, yeah, it's Neato Keen. <laughs> okay, possibly bringing back some more repressed memories here. But um, um, do you guys have like any weird stories about borrowing games from someone back in the day, or um, having someone borrow your games? Um, I lost my first copy of Rampage to some neighborhood asshole. I never got it back, and I got like I wanted to play like a baseball game in return. And I think that's how I got uh, bases loaded too. 
Uh, neither of those games were great, but uh, I do remember being upset as a kid that that guy never gave it back. Did you confront him? It was just... He was, was like, he a bully? Uh, no, he was just some shitty little kid. Want me to beat him up? Let's find him. What a bubble. Let's find a little punk. His name was Justin. I don't remember his last name. You, you get his last name. <laughs> this is the age of internet shaming. We're going to shame him on Twitter. He's going to get back that Rampage cartridge. I have no story. I was careful with my games. I didn't trust kids. After I got my uh, baseball card stolen in the back of the bus when I was like in first grade and was crying back for two weeks into that, I never trusted any. So you're a crier too? Yeah, when I was in first grade. Yes. yes What's your favorite game of all time? We don't like favorite questions. Uh, but yeah, that's this is one I can answer easily. It's DuckTales. It's always been DuckTales. It'll never not be DuckTales. <laughs> that's my answer. I, it's so hard. I, pick, I, I have favorites by genre. If you, if you specified a genre, it would be easier. What's your favorite genre? <laughs> when does it turn into bother Pat panel? <laughs> Next, please. Um, what was your first game, Atari game you ever played? First Atari game I ever played? My cousins wouldn't let me play their Atari 2600. They claimed I broke their joystick when I was three. I think they just were selfish. And they don't want me playing them. But I remember them playing Adventure a lot. Spider-Man and Pitfall were the three games I remember playing, playing a lot like in the you know, mid-80s. Before they had... I got an NES before they did. Little snot-nosed little... Uh, mine was my grandfather taught me how to play Pac-Man on the 5200. Uh, which is a good way to get frustrated because Pac-Man's a maze game and that joystick doesn't fucking center. I'm surprised so, you're here. I, yeah. Yeah, that's I'm surprised you're still possible. here. Yeah. It was like starting you off by running by t- tying your shoes and teaching you to run. So here you go, kid. Yeah. Hey, uh, I'm from Canada. and uh, Canada's lovely. Um, my kid, friend Canada asked fans? me to pick him up a virtual boy and I've literally never seen one in uh, my whole life and I find one and people are giving me dirty looks like I'm an idiot for buying it, but is there any playable games for it that I should pick up for them? I got tennis. Tennis? tennis. I actually think a lot of the games are playable. They're just hard to look at for a long yeah, time. You get ahead again for 10 minutes. Uh, uh, the, the Mario Clash is supposed to be pretty good. Mario? Mario is supposed to be pretty good. I like Red Alarm. I have not played the Japanese Bomberman game. Is that good? I haven't played that. There's either. a 3D Tetris. Is that good? Like, there's like, there's like no. five Japanese oh. games that didn't come out here. But then we're really... At, at that point, you might as well just chuck it in the dumpster. Right uh, on. Thanks a lot. But it's for your friend, though. Yeah. This well-dressed guy. Thank you. Make yeah. me feel like an ass. Dapper. My question is actually, uh, on the concept of retro gaming, do you feel like it's a static category, you know, given those original consoles, or as we all get tragically older, does retro just move up along with the uh, age of the consoles? We, we've talked about this on the podcast. We have differing opinions on this. Uh, retro moves up with, with, as, as time goes on. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that, but he does. Like, well, I mean, like the original Nintendo become ancient gaming? <laughs> no, because this is why I, I feel that it doesn't move up. Because you always have a retro feel of a game, and that retro feel of a game will not be how an Xbox game looks 20 years from now. They're not going to be sure. targeting games with like Xbox games. They'll be targeting games with like Super Nintendo and Nintendo and Genesis. That's why I think retro gaming stops at like the Dreamcast. That's why I, I think it's like that. I see both sides, but that's why I wanted to ask. That's why we have a, you know, I don't like him, but he's good for the podcast. <laughs> we have differing opinions. Fucking blow me. <laughs> see? It's good for the podcast. <laughs> so, okay. So, hello. Hello, hello. Flash. Uh, 
You gotta be quick, Flash. You know your the, your episode where you were playing Russian attack and Rob was turning against you? Mm-hmm. What other character would you think would turn against you? <laughs> this happens every day. Nintendo. I, 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 oh, Nintendo. Oh, okay, Nintendo. Um, Nintendo character turning against me. Um, uh, Besides uh, Rob. Princess Tomato. Um, <laughs> Uh, Danny Sullivan. Oh, Danny! Yeah. In, a special, in a special episode, he turns against me. He comes to life out of TV and starts strangling me. Pops out of your T-shirt. Yeah. He, 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 he hates me for raising the price artificially <laughs> of the game. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, kid. I don't, that's all I got. Sorry, I couldn't do better. Mr. Gimmick attacks me in a, in a sequel episode. But he misses like five times because that star is unwieldy. Two more questions. Hey, Pat, I just want to ask a quick question. With all the fame and fortune you're getting from being... (laughs) (laughs) What do your friends and family think about it, and has there ever been anyone close to you that's actually doubted you and tried to talk you into, you know, not doing it? And uh, go Mets. Let's go Mets go. Um, This is going to get into really dark territory. My parents really never supported me in anything I wanted to do. Let alone this, so... Whenever I said, you know, I quit my job three years in my day job because it was killing me. And no one really said, because I wasn't making money even to live three years ago. I was like, you know what I mean? It was just like a totally hobby. And so it was like, it was like doubtful what I could do. So it was just really, well, let me see what I can do. Let's see what I can do a year or two from now before my savings are gone. I've got to sell my M82 and then, you know, throw myself into the river. That's no, basically no, what it was. The M82 is the one thing you're keeping. The M82 is going to be strapped to myself when I throw myself in the river. There you go. <laughs> With you to the end. With you to the end. So, did I answer the question? I'm, I'm sort of like in this weird state of mind. I had like four hours sleep the past two nights. So. Close enough. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. Go Mets. <laughs> Who's that Cubs fan? Throw some dum-dums at him. Hey, Pat, I heard what you said about HP. So I was sad. They, they yeah. c- contacted me. Last week. And you have an HP Jet Direct 4360? No, they sent me a free printer cartridge. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they specially called me up. They, HP got word. If you didn't know, I had a big falling out with HP over their shitty DRM ink cartridges. Well, where, they man? called me. They got word of the podcast segment. I didn't think I told you this. Yeah, they called me. One was very nice. And it's not like a big deal. Like, oh, we know. We, we understand. This is like, she was like, not just the customer service, the special customer service. Like, <laughs> One below the president, I guess, of customer service. So I'm, I'm, I was like, I told the story. I said, hey, DRM on ink is kind of shitty. It doesn't make any sense. I know you may have to make money, but it sucks. So I'm thinking, there is a new printer. This is going to be great. We can send you one color uh, ink cartridge and one black and white one. We can have that to you in a couple days. And I'm like, yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> I didn't say that, but after all the pain and suffering, I got nice, shiny FedEx ink cartridges. They're going to see this clip and send you a couple more ink cartridges. That's um, like finding a rat in your fast food and getting yeah. a coupon for a free small fry. Long analogy, but it works. We'll talk offline. Okay. Well, I, 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 I'm sure they're a great company. You get 20 days off a year. Great cafeteria. Downstairs. Healthy options. You know, you good 401k plan. Half, half to eight percent. Put it before you get six back or whatever. Okay, I'm gonna shut the hell up. 
So we're out of time support up in Pies. We're going to be at our booth if you want to come say hi and hang out. And that's been the Completely Unnecessary Podcast for October 17th, 2015. And we'll see you later. <laughs>